grab a seat and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in a few different places. I'm going to give you a couple to go ahead and mark. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. You can thumb over there once you've got that. Then turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 1. If you're like me, you may need to go to the table of contents to find Ezekiel, but it's in there. Isaiah 6, Ezekiel chapter 1. While you're turning there, I want to start with perhaps the strangest question I've ever asked from the platform. And it may not sound strange to you at first, but then when you begin to consider it, maybe it will. And, and, and here's why. Before I show you the question, this is a strange question, but it is essential to where we're going today. And so here's the question. Are you ready? The question is this. What, and the key part, most important thing, what most important thing do your boss, family, friends, our president, and Vladimir Putin have in common? Some of you are going, what in the world? Let's expand this out. We could change any of these names to maybe include or Mother Teresa or King Charles or your coworker. You know the one, the one that you always avoid because they just get going and going and going and you can never get your work done because they're still going. Or, or maybe you would include someone, maybe it's a distant relative or maybe it's that person at the grocery store. It could be any person, every person. What is the one most important thing that all these people have in common? And here's the answer. Are you ready? We are all worshipers. We are all worshipers. Now, I know as soon as I say we are all worshipers, some of you are going, digs. <laughs> you don't know so-and-so. So-and-so doesn't go to church. He's not a churchgoer. Friend, I did not say we are all churchgoers. I said, we are all worshipers. You can go to church and not worship. Can I get an oh yeah? But you can also not step foot in a church building and still be a worshiper. In fact, we are all worshipers, but let me be more clear. You are a worshiper. Everyone is a worshiper. Not just some people. Not just other people, everyone in the world who is sucking air and pumping blood is a worshiper. Again, a worshiper has very little to do with what you do on Sunday morning. A worshiper, well, let's put it this way. How do I say that everyone's a worshiper? Well, worship is simply your response to what you value. Worship is simply your response to what you value. So let me give you a couple examples. And then in a moment, I'll give you a couple pictures. But a couple examples. So you go to a football game or any sporting event and you are so excited because your team just scored a touchdown or hit the basket or a home run. And what do you do? You stand up. You cheer. You give high fives at a boys. You may sing a fight song. What are you doing? Well, if you read the book of Psalms, every one of those activities is called an act of worship. Or you go to a concert. Someone's playing and you're just, oh man, they're the jam. I love them. And so you go and what do you do? They play your favorite song. You stand up, you cheer, you clap, you sing along. What are you doing? Well, again, according to the book of Proverbs, or excuse me, Psalms, those are all acts of worship. What are you doing? You are a worshiper. Why? Because every person who has ever existed, who lives now or will live in the future is made by God, intrinsic in the DNA of who they are. He is placed in each of us, the need to worship. 
It is the fuel of the human soul. The question is not, are you? Am I? Are we worshipers? The question is, what will we worship? Because worship is simply the response to what you value. In fact, let me give you some pictures of worship. See if you kind of recognize this. These are pictures of passion, enthusiasm. You have love and admiration, hands raised, people cheering, people celebrating, people worshiping. In fact, this one was from the Beatles concert years and years ago. That guy wasn't. These are pictures of worship. The question is not, are we worshipers? The question is, what do we worship? And here's why this is so important. The quality of your life, the focus and purpose of your life will be determined on what you give your life to worship. And so it's for that reason that for this week and next, we're going to drill down on one of the most important topics ever. And it's simply this. It's the heart of worship. That every one of us in the core of who we are worships something, either God or something else. Now, by the way, I need to be very careful. I'm not picking on your sports team or the musician that you love. I want to be very clear. Those pictures we saw were not bad pictures. Those were pictures of really, really, really good worship of really, really, really bad gods. Because a sports player may be a really, really, really good sports player, but he or she makes a really, really, really bad God. You cannot expect someone who throws a football well to save your soul. You can't expect someone who sings a song very well or is able to hype up a crowd to save your soul. They are great at what they do, but they're terrible at being good gods. In fact, every person that you lean on as your focus or as your object of worship, you're crushing them under a weight that they cannot sustain. Your wife may be a great wife, but she's a terrible god. Your children may be great children, but they are a terrible god. Your spouse, your husband, your parents, your friends, your job, whatever, may be good at what it does, but it is a terrible God. So what we see often in the world is great worship to bad gods. And in the church, unfortunately, we flip that. We often have really, really, really bad worship for a really, really good God. Now, I'm not going to ask you to show your hands or raise your hands, but... Have you ever stepped into the church building on a Sunday morning and maybe you come in and you just observe, you don't participate? Or maybe the words are coming out, but the heart is not aligned to what is being stated. See, I think in the church, it's so easy for us to give God a little bit, but everyone else a lot. But remember that worship is simply my response, your response to what we value most. And so here's the thesis for today. Are you ready? Here's the big idea. I believe the biggest problem in the church is our small view of God. The biggest problem in the church is our small view of God. And by the way, the biggest problem in the world is the world's small view of God. I love what John Piper said years ago. He said, the reason that missions exist, the reason that we go out and tell people about God, the reason that we go and we go across the ocean, the reason missions exists is because worship of God on earth does not exist. If everyone on earth worshiped God for all he was worth, we would not need one more missionary, would we, church? I mean, you step into the gates of heaven, you see the king of glory. After all, the people who are there, they're worshiping. No one is going over and saying, hey, Bob, can I tell you about Jesus Christ and how you can have a personal relationship with him? No, he sees him. 
There's worship in heaven. And the problem is there is not worship on earth. And so the biggest problem in the church is our small view of God. All I want to do this morning for a few minutes together is give you a big picture of God as best I can from Scripture. Because the best gift, kids, that you can give your mom for Mother's Day is to point her to the bigness of her Savior. Moms, the best gift you will ever give your children is not a good education, is not a fancy car, it's not designer clothing, it's none of those things. The best gift you will ever give your children, mom, is a big picture of a good God. Because if your children get a big picture of a big God, it will change everything about their life on earth and their life after their time on earth. So I just want to show you three pictures from Scripture of the bigness of our God. The first one comes from our brother John. John was a follower of Jesus. He was considered the beloved of Jesus, best buddy of Jesus. But in his later life, he was exiled on an island of Patmos for communicating the goodness of God. And they didn't like it. And so they put him out on this rock. And so on Sunday morning... While he's worshiping the Lord, Jesus appears to him. But friends, it's not the picture of Jesus he was familiar with. Oh no, the familiar picture was the crucified carpenter, the one who was God in a human body. You know the one I'm talking about? The Jesus who appears to him is that Jesus stripped of the veneer of humanity. He is now unsheathed in all of his glory. And we're told... That John is blown away. Now, here's the reality. If God showed up right now, like if the roof peeled off and Jesus appeared, what would you do? See, I think on Sundays, often we have classes, and classes are good, but we'll have classes like here are the three points about who Jesus is, who God is, and we dissect God. We don't worship him. And we want to ask him questions, and we want to accuse him of things. We want to say, why don't you do this, or how did you do that? Instead, notice what happens when John sees Jesus. Notice this. When I saw him, Jesus, in all of his glory, what does he do? Does he say, I'm going to fist bump Jesus? I'm going to high five Jesus, ask him where he's been the past 60 years? No. I fell at his feet as though dead. The only logical response when you see the king of glory is your knees buckle and your face goes down. The bigness of God. See, the biggest problem in the church is not politics. The biggest problem in the church is not a culture that is decaying. The biggest problem in the church is our small view of God. When was the last time that your knees buckled on the way, under the weight of the glory of God and you were face down at home in private or here corporately? When was the last time that when the glory of God was so real to you that you did nothing but fall before him? This is what happens when we see the bigness of our God. Let me show you another one. Let's roll back a few centuries to the Old Testament prophet of Ezekiel. Because after all, what did John see that blew his mind so much? Ezekiel tries to share with us what he saw, but he does a terrible job of describing God. I just want to be frank. Ezekiel, he could really work on his adjectives and his descriptive words, because these are not that great. But look at what he tries to do. He says, Then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads, the angel. So he's seeing heaven. He's been brought in, and he sees this vault, this space above the angels, and he hears a voice. And next verse says this. Keep going. It says, Above the vault over their heads, the angels, was what looked like a throne of Lapis Lazula. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. So he's like, okay, he looks sort of like a human, but notice what else. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of well, fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire. 
It's like no variety here. It's like he was fire from above and fire from below. He's just like fire. I mean, that's all he can give us. And brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. So do you follow what's happening? He sees God and he's like, he's, he's, he's like fire. Okay, tell us more. What else is he like? He's like more fire. Thanks, Ezekiel. It's like his brain pops because he cannot compute what he is seeing and put into words what he is experiencing. When you come into the presence of God, his bigness overwhelms you. He is more than what our minds can imagine or what we can put our arms around. One final picture from another prophet. This one is named Isaiah. Isaiah served a very tumultuous period in Jewish history. And in chapter 6, He speaks these words and he describes a scene. He too was one of the few who's ushered into the throne room of heaven and saw something that few mortal eyes had ever seen. And so in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, it says this, in the year, now this is a key context giver. We're going to camp on this for a second. In the year that King Uzziah died, you notice that? He died. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, I want us to look at this for just a moment. Notice when this happens. See, here's Josh's problem. My worship flows freely when life is good. My worship dries up often when life is not good. You are so good. Life is great. Thank you, God. Then life gets hard, and I question his very existence. I wonder if he loves me. By the way, did you know that if you do not worship a big God, if you have a small view of God, it leads to a few very dangerous and detrimental things. It leads to a lack of gratitude. After all, if he is this small thing, we always feel frustrated that he has not given us more. Oh, I only have this. I only want that and you never gave it to me. When we don't realize what he has given us through Christ Jesus, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, hope and glory with him forever, come on. But when we have a small view of God, we're not satisfied. When we have a small view of God, we also tend to see God as existing for our pleasure or at our command. So we want him to do these things for us, almost like a genie. You rub the lamp and he gives you your daily three wishes. Or then we have this moment for some who will actually judge God because they view him so small. You'll hear people say, well, I can never believe in a God who fill in the blank. Or I cannot love a God who did this or allowed that. God, if you are so loving and so good, how could there be so many hungry people in the world. And so we judge God because we think he is someone so small that we could judge him, never realizing that at the end of time, we will stand before him and he will judge us. And he will say to Josh, Josh, if you are so good, why, when you saw hungry people, did you do nothing either? See, God is not the one that we judge. He is the one who judges all things because he is a big, big God. Now, why is the year that King Uzziah died so important? That was the year that a great leader died. Uzziah had ruled for 52 years and the Israelites had very few great leaders. They had a lot of bad ones, only a few great ones. But Uzziah, because he was so good, they had military strength, so peace from enemies. They had national security. They had national pride as well. They kind of liked being Israelites during this period. They had a religious fervor. They loved God. 
but now he's dead and a bad king's going to come next. They're sure of it. So what do they do? Notice what God does not do. God does not step in and speak to Isaiah and say, okay, Isaiah, here, here, listen, listen. Here is the battle plan. You need to draw this up. You need to communicate it to the king who's coming so that way you can protect your borders. He doesn't do that. He doesn't sit down with Isaiah and say, Isaiah, this must be such a hard time for you. Tell me how you're feeling. What, what are you feeling right now? Does he do that? No. He says, Isaiah, I know King Uzziah died. Forget that for a moment. I want to show you something. And he opens the doors to his throne room. And I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And above him were seraphim. Those are angels, each with six wings. With two wings, they were covering their faces. Two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And notice this. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is the only attribute of God that is repeated three times. You'll never find he is love, love, love. He is good, good, good. Although those things are true, it's almost as though you and I need to be reminded that he is holy. Well, what is holy? Holy means set apart. He's not like you or like me. He's not our homeboy. He is not our buddy. He is the king of glory who stands over the universe, friend. And when we have a big picture of God, we come to him humbly and we come into life confidently. He is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then this next phrase, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Even these lesser beings are so great that the space they're in is shaking. There's one little detail. It said that the train of his robe, like just the tip of his robe, filled the temple. Why the temple? The temple was the largest building in Israel at the time. And so just the very smallest part of the train of God's robe filled the greatest space Isaiah could point to. He is that big. And when he saw God, he didn't beat his chest. Rather, notice what it says in verse 5. Woe to me. Why? I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips. He had said some naughty things. How many of us, if we saw God, would say, my problem is not just a few bad words. My problem is a bad life with things that I wish I could erase. And yet when he sees the God of glory, he even sees his words for what they were as wretched. Because the biggest problem in the church is our small view of God. But when you have a big view of God, we take our sin seriously. We celebrate God fully and we enter into the world confidently. This is the picture that we see. And so I know for some of us, we look at this moment, and maybe in your life you're just really wrecked because things are going so poorly. And I want to be very clear. I know some of the stories in some of your lives, and I know some of the things you're going through. It is painful. I do not in any way want to dismiss that or diminish it. But I want to suggest to you, what if for just a moment God did enter into the space, the one who's described as fire and fire, the one who is surrounded by angels singing holy, 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 the one who is so grand and so great that the hem of his robe fills the largest space that Isaiah can imagine. What if he for just a moment entered into this room? It's not that what you're facing isn't important. It's that what you see is far greater. Who among us in that moment would be like, yeah, okay, give me a minute. I'm still hurting. Give me just a second because this is kind of upsetting to me. No, every one of us would be rocked to our core if the king of glory entered into our space. And here's the crazy thought, friend. 
He's already here. You don't have to wait for some vision from God. You don't need him to usher you into the throne room to be in the very presence of the king of the universe. So when the king Uzziah dies in your life, you're not rocked, but you say, show me again your glory. Show me your bigness, God, for that is the only thing that will sustain me through the moments of life. And that is what will lead to extravagant, heartfelt worship. Because worship is simply our response to what we value most. And some of you this morning, you're going, yeah, but, but I can't grasp how big he is. Can you give me something, kind of give a picture for how big he is? Okay, I'm going to try. And, and this is a picture that I'm going to borrow from a guy named Francis Chan. He did this about a decade ago. It's just so powerful. I want to try to help you see the grandeur of God. Because for some of us, we hear these words, but we need pictures. Anyone else in here need pictures, by the way? Any, anyone else? Man, I'm that little kid who needs like the thick little baby book, you know, the thick board books that you open up and everything's a picture. There's like two words. That's my speed. So let me try to help us all out if you're my speed. Let me start with this. This is where we live. This is ground level. But I want to take you further from where we live. Let's go up 10 kilometers. This is the height, seeing the curvature of the earth from Mount Everest. But if we were to pull back even further, go 200 kilometers, you would see... This, and then one light year away, the solar system. Now, if we go two light years, you now are at the Oort cloud. That is where the boundary of the gravity of the sun exists. But let's pull out further to a thousand light years. And now you see our little home place, the Milky Way, at 10 million light years. Those, all those dots are galaxies. Let's keep going to 100 billion light years We are somewhere in the recesses of space right there. And Scripture tells us that God, the one who in the beginning said, let there be, and it was. The Scripture describes God and says that he holds out his hand and he measures the cosmos between his fingers. This is the same God who when he said the universe will be this big, came to earth and said, and I love you this much. See, he's not just an extravagantly large God or a large and powerful being. He's a personal one who's entered time and space to meet you and me face to face. He is not just a big God that we fall down in fear of. He is a great God that we fall down in worship for his kindness to us. That yes, he strides across the cosmos, but he then came into our little neck of the world. And he is the one who then calls us, who says, I am the God who calls the stars by name. And I call you now by name. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you deeper than you will ever know. I will die for you and I will live for you, he says. He is the king who scattered the stars and he is the king who died in a tomb taking your sins and mine. But good news, church, on the third day, when the stone was rolled away, Jesus came forth, but he left your sin there. He is the king of glory. There is no other, no greater, more powerful than he. So when we come together, may we celebrate God with all that we have. And when we leave this room, may we celebrate him all the more. You understand, God does not live in this room. Do you, do you know this, friend? 
I know you may have heard this called the house of the Lord. And it's not a bad phrase, but you understand Jesus doesn't spend his days here when we leave. At the end of service, Jesus will not go to the drive through and he won't wave to us as we go. I'll see you next Sunday. He will not come back in here, sweep up. He'll not play one of the guitars, just sort of pick a tune. How great am I? I mean, he's not going to do that. He's not going to be here. This is one space. How do you contain the infinite God? The answer is you cannot. Which means worship is not in a particular place. It is a particular posture of all people. So tomorrow morning when your eyes open and light penetrates, that is a moment of worship for God is with you. When you face the bad news from the doctor and you don't know what to do, that is a great moment to rejoice for the one who holds the cosmos in his hands holds you in his hands as well. And this week when you face those moments of joy and you remember the taste of food and the holding of a hand and the friendship of someone, it is a moment to say you're the giver of all good gifts. In other words, worship is simply the response to what you value most. Everyone is a worshiper. The only question is this morning, what do you worship? I'm going to invite you to bow your head before we sing this next song. We're going to pray together. As we do, let's take just a moment to consider what does it mean that there is a God who is infinite and yet personal who loves you and knows you. For some of us in this room, we just simply need to acknowledge that our hearts were made for worship and we are worshiping something. Perhaps you want to tell the Lord, I want to know more of what it means to worship you. For others in this room, you've been kicking the tires of faith and you know your next step is to confess your sins, to be baptized, to come into saving relationship with the king of the universe. And the one who created all things, who created you, wants to live life with you forever. And the act of worship would be to confess, to repent, and yes, to be baptized. And for others in this room, worship is simply saying, I will not leave Jesus in the building. I will take him with me in the morning. Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed, we come to you and we open our lives to you. Receive from us our worship. Yes, in song, but more than just song, receive from us everything we have. It is our gift and only logical response to seeing how good and great you are. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.